A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible Resistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. You are listening to Inside F1 with Joe Sayward on Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Inside F1 with Joe Sayward on Missed Apex Podcast. I'm Spanners, the host and producer of Missed Apex Podcast. Coming up this week, we have part two of our 2018 season review on Sunday, and then the following Tuesday, that's the 11th of December, we'll be doing our first point scoring round of Missed Apex iRacing at 8pm UK time. Details will follow mid-show, but I know that's not why you're here. You're here because I'm joined by F1 media legend, Joe Notebook Sayward. How's it going, Joe? I'm very blurred. Yes, but the audio people don't know you're blurry. You don't sound blurry. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm not blurred audio-wise. I'm blurred video-wise. My my otherwise unchallenged beauty is currently um, pixelated to a massive extent. Well, maybe you are kind of blurry on the audio as well. How was Abu Dhabi? Was it fun? Was it a fun trip? I can't remember that for long ago. It's ages. They've had 27 test days since then and a lot of blah, blah. See, that's what I was going to ask you, Joe. You didn't hang around for the test days. Is that of no interest Why to you? would you hang around for the test days? Racing cars? I've been away for 160,000 days this year. Why would I hang around to watch a bunch of Polish people getting excited. I would not. No, I went home because there are more exciting things to do than watching people driving around in cars that I'll see a lot of next year. That's true. So is it just that there's little journalistic value in it? No, it's because I want to go home. The answer is because I haven't been home a lot. And I have vaguely remnants of a family. And I have, you know, all these things that people don't understand. They think that um, we should all be at their beck and call day and night. And the answer is no, thanks. I've done my time. I'll see Robert Kubica and Williams next year, maybe. Uh, I'll see Lance Stroll in the Force India. I'll see bloody blah. So 
as far as I'm concerned, I'm done with the season. Um, the season finished. It was good. It was blah. It was fine. Uh, and I don't need to see people driving new cars, Leclerc and a Ferrari, etc. So Mrs. Sayward told you to go home. It's not quite like that. It's not that simple, but <laughs> I want to go home. So for us, you know, sat at home, it does feel like the most exciting thing in the world to go and see cars going round. But is there no part of you that was intrigued just to see, you know, the dynamic of Kimi Raikkonen in his blank coveralls getting into a Sauber? I'm not 12 years old. I've, I've done all that. I'll see it all <laughs> next year, you know. Um, it's not that exciting if you are if you are 21 years old and have no family i get it i understand the desire to stay out there and party all night long and watch another car going around with someone else driving it but uh, the reality is that it's not that earth-shatteringly important so famously you have said on this podcast that you don't go to any of the parties post-race because you're too busy putting together GP Plus magazine, your e-magazine that is out mere hours after the race finishes. But surely at the end of the season, it's a little different. Is there not a, a journalist, um, you know, after party, end of season party, a, a Hall of Famers party? Because you, this season, were added to the Paddock Hall of Fame. Yeah, but, you know... When, when you get to 11 o'clock at night on the Sunday after Abu Dhabi, um, there may be parties going on somewhere. But generally speaking, by the time I'm finished, all the parties are over. I, in my career, I think I've made one post-race party. And that was in 1988. And they shut the door in my face as I arrived. <laughs> so, um, no, we didn't have any time. We finished the magazine, we drove to to Dubai, we caught the aeroplane and we were done. So I can't believe they shut the door in your face in 1988. Did you not say to them, "Do you not know who I'm going to become?" There's one thing you'll never ever hear me say. And and that is, "Do you not know?" Because that is the worst kind of person. In fact, the only people who use that line are traffic wardens, uh, city councillors, and um, fans from Poland. You're, do you know what? Don't don't provoke the Polish listeners, Joe. <laughs> We're all friends here. Thank I'm not. You should see what I have to put up with. <laughs> you know, I'm a very very calm human being, but the rubbish I have put up with from people slightly to the east of Stettin, some people is not fair. It, it's that's, not fair. They're a passionate fan not, base. Should we not remember that when Lewis Hamilton first came onto the scene, though, there was a lot of new Formula One fans no, that came no, in? No, we should not remember because they nobody nobody was in the same league as the lunatics who represent that particular country. Nobody. I've sat through generations of new racing drivers, and I've never been abused so badly as I have been by these people. So as far as I'm concerned, just because I suggest that Esteban Ocon might have been a better choice for Williams were it not for the money. I become somebody who is, you know, nationally um, uh, to be persecuted. And I use the word persecuted correctly. I thought you were going to say loosely, which would be more no, accurate. No, I, I, no, correctly, because okay. I, I feel very persecuted by a bunch of people who don't know, a bunch of fanboys who are just very excited. I understand being very excited, but... Being very excited and being abusive and unpleasant, I'm sorry, but you won the world championship in that. 
Joe, also a very passionate man. Of course, I will say here at Missed Apex Podcast, <laughs> fans of all drivers are absolutely welcome. They are welcome, absolutely, but they don't have to call for my crucifixion, death, and all the other things they call for. That's all. When it comes to the preseason, though, do you have a different attitude to testing? When it comes to Barcelona testing, do you think, right, now I want to get a feel for what's going on in the new season? No. No, because I've never, I haven't been to testing since 1988, and I've never been as bored as I was oh, going really? testing. Oh, no. Seriously, I do, you know that I don't do testing. Testing is a bunch of people driving around trying not to tell anybody anything. And any journalist who turns up there has to make it up as he goes along because there's no, there's no information. Uh, even if there was information, they don't want to let you know. They'll tell you a bunch of stuff that's not true. But the fact is, it's a complete waste of time. We find out what's really happening in the Formula One world when we arrive in Australia. <laughs> and that's when I turn up. Well, I tell you what, Joe, I bet you could swing some inside F1 media passes for Barcelona testing. And I'll prove you wrong. I'll go and get some real insightful journalism. Please feel free to try, but you won't see me there. <laughs> Fair enough. Now, tentatively, we are going to have to crawl back to Williams because that is the first topic on um, on our show notes. Now, fan fans aside, Polish fans aside... Robert Kubica has been selected to drive for Williams in 2019. Now, I know that you've copped a lot of slack for being wrong about this. However, I think at every stage of no, our I conversations... Been wrong. No, no, this is what I'm saying. At every stage of our conversations, you've probably taken the most reasonable view. And it has seemed to take quite a sharp right turn in circumstances that has opened the door for Robert Kubica. I mean, namely... Sergei Sorotkin seemed like a shoe-in for a second season in F1, um, but there was a little bit going on with his backers. It's down to money. It's down to money and romanticism. And, uh, you know, if somebody had come along, if Esteban Ocon had arrived with more money, he would have got the drive. Esteban Ocon is, on paper, the logical best choice. I'm not saying that Robert's rubbish, because he's not. But I'm not saying... Also, that Robert is the right choice. I think that you have to... Somebody's trying to telephone me. It's probably someone being abusive. Hang on. Oh, God, here comes Poland calling. No, no, no. no. Some of them actually... Would you believe some of these people have my telephone number? Oh, no. Well, what is it? And we'll make sure that nobody rings it again. Just say it now and everything will no, be No, no, I'm not going to say it at all. But, I mean, <laughs> the fact is that I, I, you would not believe the means to which I get abused. So... Yeah, but I think the most important thing to note here is that it's 2018 and, and no one has a ringtone anymore, Joe. I do. Actually, it was my wife. Oh, so there well, you are. Lots of love to, to Mrs. Sayward. So the feeling I get from Williams at the moment, and do tell me if I'm wrong, is it kind of feels like the whole team is set up purely for the sale of three racing slots three racing opportunities and it feels like all of those are going to the highest bidder we've got um kibitza we've got george russell who i presume is backed by mercedes and then we've got nicholas latifi who is to quote their video in for the full 360 experience which translates roughly into he has paid a lot of money to be our reserve driver that's a that's a fair assessment um i mean nicholas latifi is occasionally very quick he has some talent clearly but he's not a very good racing driver and he's uh when i say he's quick but not a good racing driver i mean that nicholas 
will be on pole position, but when you put him in races alongside other people, he doesn't like it. And, uh, I mean, they have money is not a problem. And the only reason that Nicholas Latifi is in the running for a Williams test reserve, whatever drive is because he comes from one of the wealthiest families in the world. And I'm sorry if that sounds cruel, but that's the reality. And, you know, if Williams had the money to choose the best possible driver, they would have chosen Ocon. It's as simple as that. It's it's just, mm. and, and it's dreaming to suggest otherwise. I get why people say it. I get that people are biased. But the fact is, and it's got nothing to do with the fact that I live in France and Esteban Ocon once lived in France and doesn't anymore, you know, the fact is that that is a reality. And Williams is trying to survive. Um, whether they'll do it successfully or not is another matter. Why is your hand raised? Uh, because people think that I'm interrupting you and I, I don't I don't want to be that guy. So I, You're just waving. Hang on. Please, Mr. Sayward, can I interject? Are Williams, interject really, now, yes. are Williams really on that much of a breadline where if they don't take a pay driver, they are gone? Because... It's it's hard to get away from the nagging feeling that actually this is just a deliberate philosophy that they're not out there to win races. They're out there to be a functioning race team that brings money and turns a profit because they do turn a profit. Damned if I know what Williams is doing, because it doesn't make any sense to me, any of it. George Russell makes some sense and there was money to, to actually run him. If you have to have somebody else to pay for it, whether it's Sorotkin or Kubica or whoever or Pastor Maldonado, you you take the best compromise available with money, which is what they've done. They they, they think that the best compromise available for next year is Robert, which is fine. But we have to know in advance, and the, the chief executive seems incapable of saying this out loud, because they're Williams and Williams don't um, admit to taking pay drivers. The fact of the matter is that's what they're doing. They're a listed company on the Frankfurt Stock Exchange and they're doing what is best for the shareholder. Is that what is best for the racer? No, it's not. Joe, please may I ask? George Russell. You can ask it. You can ask. He's a good he's a good kid. Sure, but I'm assuming that he's not gone to Williams with 15 million dollars so how does george russell fund that seat or williams taking him purely on talent my suspicion is mercedes have a hand in that of course they have a hand in it but claire williams herself has said that we took george on talent alone they basically they had a payoff from the stroll family that funds something so you take a good driver or you take a driver with potential you sign him a long-term deal, and later on you sell the deal to somebody else. It is a classic Williams tactic. If you want lists of names, I can go back to Jensen Button, um, who had a five-year contract with Williams, which he had to buy his way out of. One year they should have put a button on the side pod because he paid for the team. Maldonado paid to get out of his contract. Valtteri Bottas had to get out of his contract. That involved money as well. You know, it's it, it is a it's a long term history. It's not a history they should be proud of. It's not a history that, as a Williams fan, I like. But that is the way it is. So George is probably under a long term contract, and it will involve uh, him buying his way out if, at some point in the future, they want him. Now, 
he's a very good choice. So uh, as a young driver coming in, who has to sign what he gets, that's his. That's a good choice from him. Joe, uh, we've got questions from Twitter because mm-hmm. you're a very popular boy. And Edgevind Anderson from Denmark has asked a question about Racing Point. And I think this is a huge curiosity. And we know that you have an in with team bosses and a great understanding of the business side and management of F1. His question is, what will be the real name? of Racing Point. I heard that it was a temporary name and also any word about the livery or do they keep BWT as sponsors? So do you have any insight into Racing Point? Was this just a name, you know, plucked out of an algorithm? Pretty much, yeah. I have talked to to Lawrence Stroll about what they're going to call the team and he says, we have a few ideas but we're not saying just yet, which is fair enough. I understand that. I don't have a problem with that. Um, They will name the team before... Friday, sorry, Thursday in Australia. That's when they have to do it. Um, They're entered under the name. They don't want to be Force India. Nobody wants to be Force India. That's ancient history. But, you know, they they have a choice of team names. We, We can't, we can look up on Company's House to see if the name has been changed. It hasn't. Uh, you can ask the team bosses what's the name going to be. And if Lawrence says, we'll, we'll find something good. But either he doesn't know. Or he knows and he doesn't want to say, which is fair enough. You know, that's his team. He can play the game. I don't suppose they're calling anything Danish, you know, but Viking racing might be a great idea, but I don't see it happening. So I think possibly that Lawrence will call it something that is very, very uh, middle of the road, if you want my opinion. I don't think he'll go for anything wild and wacky. He might go for something sort of more dramatic like pacer racing or sprint or i don't think he's going to use it for a commercial um oh he told me he wasn't going to use it for any anything commercial maybe he's changed his mind but when he when i asked him if he was going to call it for something commercial like you know like whatever the next hill figure is next hill figure racing you know uh i said are you going to get a fashion brand and name the team after he said no that's not the plan so he may change his mind, but it's his team to play with, you know, and all you can do is ask. You you, know, you can't look into their brains if they don't want to tell you. So so you have a bit of insight into Lawrence Stroll, or Papa Stroll, as we like to call him, and we are curious about what his potential in this in this sport is. It surely can't be that he's gone to all this effort just to indulge his kid for a season or two they have to have some real ambition in racing because they seem to be going all in is this just him throwing stroll bucks at it or is he gathered in investors does it look like there's a long-term infrastructure in there i think there's the the answer to that is both there is certainly an element of lance being his son there's no question about it you know why else would you drop Esteban Ocon in place of Lance Stroll? Sorry. There's no other argument that is more convincing than that. Um, having said that, I think they look at it as a as a, a financial opportunity, which it clearly is. And if it's not Lance who's there, maybe it'll be somebody else. You know, there's nothing wrong with believing your kid to be good enough. Lots of people believe their kids are good enough for everything. They're not necessarily good enough, but, you you know, they have to learn the hard way. You can't tell them. Mm. It's actually cruel to tell somebody that their son's not good enough. It's, it's you know, it's not nice. Um, but he's smart enough to realize 
that he's not as good as the top line drivers, surely. I mean, before he entered F1, he was smart enough to know that his kid might need Anthony Davison to take him round in a 2014 Williams. Like this, he doesn't strike me as a stupid man. Certainly, Lawrence Stroll. The whole world can see that Lance Stroll is half a beat off of a top F1 driver. He must see that as well. No, I don't think that's true. I think that if you look at Lance on the way up, he's won all along the way. Um, because perhaps he's had money behind him, you know, but uh, you you just have to learn the hard way. If, you know, we'll see, maybe Lance will run. Remember, Lance Stroll has been on the podium in a Formula One race. That is not easily achieved. I mean, training's a big element, isn't it? So if he's provided with the right training in the right environment and a team that is in the top half of Formula One, there is potential, and I've got this sneaky feeling that they're going to keep pushing and keep pushing. Because if they've come this far, what is to stop them ultimately, say, trying to fill a vacuum if Mercedes ever leave and buying Brackley or, you know, filling that void and making Lance Troll a potential world champion? I just, I can't help but feel that this family is going to keep pushing. And Lance is, he's not bad enough to not benefit from all of that drive and pushing. Well, they may do, but, you know, if that's the. If that's the motivation, I think they're going to end up disappointed. You think? But that's just, yeah, I, I do, because I'm not convinced that Lance is, you know, the next world champion. I just don't think he is. Good. Um, so you're quashing the dreams of the Stroll family. You're, you're poo-pooing it. No, I'm not quashing the dreams. I'm just saying you've got to prove it more than you've proved it. And that's the, that is the truth of it. You know, you have to be realistic about these things and we'll see if he rises to the occasion. Good for him. And I hope he does, because, you know, I I hate to see people who are passionate um, being disappointed. But, you know, there's a reality in this, too. And the reality is Formula One, whether people believe it or not, are the best drivers in the world. Speaking of harsh realities, though, Ami Azara in the chat room. Obviously, turns the conversation towards who has missed out in that scenario, and that's Esteban Ocon. Please, Spanners, ask Joe about the future of Ocon. If he's somehow secured, or, um, or hang on, bad word, or not in a great situation, like Verline. Uh, it seems like he has a little bit more long-term support than Verline had. However, that said, if he was that good, would he not have been selected over Russell? Would Mercedes not have told Russell just to, to hang out for a year and, and done everything No, no, no. I think, I think you miss out in that argument. You miss out on what happened with Esteban. He was about to sign for McLaren. Um, he got an offer from Williams. He said no to McLaren, and then, and then Renault basically screwed him. Um, not by any particular choice. It's just by the fact that uh, Dan Ricardo took up an offer that that Renault didn't expect him to take up, and so Esteban had two drives on offer and missed out on both. That doesn't mean that Esteban Ocon is a rubbish driver. It means that Esteban Ocon is just damn unlucky, and as a result of that, he was left in the running for a Williams drive, which is basically, as I keep saying over and over again, is a lottery down to money, whether you like it or not. Um, and Esteban couldn't raise enough money to fill that particular hole. So he's going to be a test and reserve driver at Mercedes. And it means that Valtteri Bottas is going to have to pull his finger out big time or else he's gone. 
Ah, well, that leads us on to our next question from a Dutch fan on Twitter. And I'm going to... Do you know what? I'm stereotyping. It, he might be from Bristol and... Happens no, he's, called, he, he's either Dutch or he's he's Dutch, you know. He, well, is there an orange flag somewhere on the thing? Well, the name is Hans Vesterbeck. So I'm going to go ahead and assume that is a Dutch fan. And welcome but to he all our set, Dutch fans. He may have settled in Bristol some years ago. He yeah. may have done. How likely... This Joe feeler is that Mercedes will put Ocon into Bottas's seat mid-season. Why wouldn't they, uh, says Hans. My guess is that the only reason they wouldn't do it from the start is so they don't immediately have a huge teammate battle on hand. Now, we know Bottas has so a contract. But they wouldn't have a teammate battle on hand because Ocon has got a lot of learning to do to catch up with Lewis Hamilton. Valtteri Bottas is a very, very good racing driver, but Lewis Hamilton is exceptional. He's won five world championships. To be equal to him would be remarkable. Okay? Yes. So if Ocon arrives, I would not expect Esteban to be equal to Lewis straight away. But he might be very, very close. Like I expect I expect um Charles Leclerc to be Cluck. You're doing impersonations of chickens now, are you? <laughs> cluck, cluck, cluck. I've had um, so many emails on pronunciations this week. <laughs> it's not my fault. I have explained this to you already. Have you not? I got, got I got told head? off for saying Monegasque wrong earlier. I'm sure I said it wrong. How, how can you How can you be told off for that? What's wrong with that? Monegasque. There we go. But anyway, let's uh, let's put ourselves in. No, 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 no. But you know, the fact is that Charles de Clare is called Charles de Clare. If he wants to pretend he's called Charles de Clerc. Just to cheer up English people, that's his problem. But um, anyway, moving swiftly on, the, the point I was trying to make is that I expect Charles to be very good next year. I think he'll be very close, if not better, than, than, than Sebastian Vettel. And that will be an indication more of, of Sebastian Vettel than it will be of Charles Leclerc. I don't feel the same way about Lewis. I think Lewis is on a planet of, of, all, of his own at the moment. And I would think that if Esteban becomes a Mercedes driver next year, which is by no means certain, uh, I think he will he will have to fight very hard to, to equal Lewis. Yeah, very, very much so. Um, but Bottas must be feeling the pressure, what with uh, Toto Wolff, with that unfortunate series of words where he says, Ocon will be ready for a race seat in 2020 after being with us in 2019. It did make it sound like they were saying, you know, he's going to come in in 2020. Unlucky Valtteri. Well, it may be. It may be the case. I mean, if you are Esteban Ocon, you would turn around to Mercedes and say, why am I going to stay with you? Beyond the fact there's a contract, you'd say, why would I stay with you when I could go elsewhere? And... I don't think I don't think it's come to that, but because I think that they believe in Esteban uh, in the long term. And you must remember also, you know, Valtteri arrived there in a very specific set of circumstances. He wasn't necessarily the first choice. That's true. He yeah. was the first. He was the first available choice. Um, when no one expected at that period of time, no one expected Nico Rosberg to retire. Not that anyone's missed him a great deal, by the way, but um, you know, nobody expected it. Uh, when it happened, it caught them out, and they and they did the best thing they could at the time that was available. It cost them money too; they had to pay Williams, amazingly, you know, uh, to let Valtteri go. But it was the right decision at that point for them. Now it may be the right decision later on. 
to to shove Valtteri back to Williams uh, you know, with more money and take Esteban. I don't know. We'll see. Surely, but, though, at know, that I, point, at that point, hardly any drivers, you know, come go up to the top, uh, go down again, and then resurface. Surely. Valtteri's stock will be so hurt from not having made it at Mercedes, it's not going to be worth putting resources into him, unless you think he's going to come back up again. No, it's worth putting resources into him as a way of of making him feel better. <laughs> oh, here's a good question in the chat room from Don Byrne. Question for Joe. Given the Tommy Hilfiger connection, does Joe think that Hamilton might jump ship to to force stroll sorry to stroll force at the end of his Merck contract and I mean it's not inconceivable that Mercedes could end up leaving F1 is that a future kind of end of career once he's beaten Schumacher's record he can go and race in Tommy Hilfiger colours that's really a bit of you know <laughs> if 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 pink is the new purple maybe this will happen you know who knows <laughs> who knows but I don't really see that as being very likely. To be honest, um, you know, Lawrence Stroll sold Tommy Hilfiger massively, made tons of money, and why would he want to be involved in that again? You know, <laughs> it's more likely that he'll go for Fred Sloblock of Hackney, who is a new fashion designer no one's ever heard of, build him up, and you know, do a Michael Kors on him, do a Tommy Hilfiger. That's the way to make money. You take someone who's worthless and and make them big. Well, I've been hearing good things about Fred. Hey, we're going to talk about some more controversy that you might be able to give us some insight on. But first, a word from me. Hi, guys. Thanks for listening to Inside F1 with Joe Sayward. If you want to follow us, follow us at missed apex f1 on twitter and me at spanners ready we are going to be doing our first point scoring round of missed apex i racing and with joe's newfound love of sim racing we might even be able to persuade him to come with us as well we'll be going next tuesday on the 11th of december at 8 p.m uk time it's open to any listener the game itself iRacing is free to download and you can jump on a one month subscription for less than a tenner to see if you like it so if you have a gaming wheel and a pc that runs games then you could start racing with us for less than a tenner it's also live streamed we have commentators and we will have a group discord chat it was a ton of fun last time on our first iRacing evening you can sit you can hang out with some of the crew and do a bit of racing with us contact me if you want to be added to the list, and I'll make sure you get all the details, you can get me on Twitter DM. You can friend me. You can be my friend on Facebook by adding Spanners Ready on Facebook, or you can just send me an email, spannersready at gmail.com. Hope to see you there. You will probably beat me. I'm not that good. Joe, are you coming to London from that there, France? Nope. No, I'm not, no. It's not happening. Having invented iRacing, I'm not sure why I should bother, you know. No, I, I meant for an audience with Joe, but, you know, you are no, welcome no, to I, join I, us, iRacing I, 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 was well. unable, I was unable to secure ah. a, uh, a venue, otherwise I'd be there <laughs> now. Um, and, uh, no, unfortunately, everyone in London is too greedy to let me have a venue so i have to because you know if if you pay the charges asked for london venues it costs too much to make any profit if if it makes no profit what's the point you know um well 
Well, uh, I give away. I get, no, I give away enough already. Huh? Well, this is a great time to announce the London audience with spanners, where we all get drunk and you can ask me questions, and I generally just shrug and go, uh, I don't know, maybe Matt or Summers knows. I'm not sure. Uh, now, nah, maybe that's not going to make a good live event. Michael Riley asks a question on Twitter and says. If Joe could headbutt any team principal throughout the years, who would it be and why was it Flavio Briatore? That's actually the correct answer. <laughs> and uh, it, it would be because – can I use rude words or are there small children watching? Oh, there are very small children watching, Joe. In that case, he was a jolly bad fellow. A rotter. <laughs> he was a bounder. And he deserved to be headbutted full on the nose. And I would have happily have broken that. Even He would have had plastic surgery and fixed it, I'm sure. But uh, no, he was just a horrid person. So there we are. Remember, kids, not all problems can be solved by headbutting people. Just some of them. I, I agree with that. I never did headbutt him. And I don't believe in violence. But if I did believe in violence, the one person I would be violent to would be him. Excellent. Good to know. Thanks for being a good sport and answering that question. He's completely joking, kids. Joe would never headbutt anybody. Uh, but butting heads. I've never headbutted anybody. I have punched. I have punched a marshal once. I admit it. Hello to all the marshals in, in, listening. In extreme, in extreme circumstances, but I did. The only time I've ever punched anyone in motor racing was a marshal at Manicou. Uh, no, it was La Chartre, actually. La Chartre, a, a little-known French racetrack that no longer exists in any uh, real form, internationally speaking. Um, and this man said, you can't do this. And I said, it is my job to do this. And he said, you can't do this. So in the end, after a number of exchanges, I used the only possible um, uh, explanation that he would understand. And he understood. Use your words, Saywood. Use your words. I'm gonna I punched him. him. I punched him, and he was so surprised. I think that I uh, he didn't bother to do anything about it because I was gone by the time he realised that he'd been punched. I always think it's rubbish in films where they get punched and then the next thing they do is form a plan and pick up a thing and throw a thing. No, when you get punched in the face, you sit there and think, "Oh no, I've been punched in the face." But let's talk. I about- don't know. I, I didn't analyse the situation. I was far too busy trying to get to where I should have been allowed to go, and wasn't allowed to go. And so I was doing my job, and I and I wasn't really worried whether or not he felt that his mascara had been knocked out of place. I was just trying to do my job properly. And um, there was no argument, ultimately. If it had gone to court, he would probably have won, but he didn't know who I was, so it never went to court. And it's too late now. Ah, Didn't he know who you were? I was a nobody then. Never. And actually, to be honest... I'm just a journalist, you know, You've got to get, get things into perspective here. You know, I can't go around punching everybody. Um, you know, it's not something that journalists can get away with. I'm just a chef, Joe, just a chef. Now then, Haas, I want to talk about Haas because I am a fan of Haas. I have a Haas hat here. However, when Haas... You, you need to be very careful how you say the word Haas hat. But I pulled it off because I'm a talky-talky <laughs> kind of guy and I got it right. But mm-hmm. when I heard that Haas had called out another team for not building their own car, well, I nearly choked on my cereal, Joe, and uh, that's all I'm going to say about that. Can you give us some well, light? You need, interval- to, you need to change your cereal to something more edible. Haas has been challenged several times on not building their own car, and they've been investigated, and they have won every single time. So to call them out and say they haven't built their own car is wrong. Now, 
they challenge somebody. It's got nothing to do with whether whether Force India, whatever it's called this week, built their own car. It was a point to make a gesture to send a message that Haas feels that they've been unfairly treated, which they have. They have been unfairly treated. Now, the stewards threw out their protests, but the stewards did point out in their ruling that Force India was a new team. By doing so, they created the potential for a solution to a problem at arbitration, which is the only thing that Haas is allowed to do. Go to arbitration, pull out the stewards' decision saying, Force India is a new team. Is this in keeping with the Concord Agreement? The answer is no, it's not. And they will then have to have a settlement. The point of it is not to do any of that rubbish. The point is to get Force India and or Formula One and or everybody in Formula One just to settle up and be fair to Haas. Haas did their necessary um, training period, if you want to call it that. Yeah. They paid a lot of money. They didn't get a lot of money back. And they're pissed off. Sorry, they're annoyed. Um, I'll say, hang on, I'll, I'll do a quick pause so you can edit it easily. They're annoyed that they were not allowed to do the same thing as Force India was allowed to do. It's not right. It's not fair. And so there has to be a solution to that problem, and there will be a solution to that problem. It's just that they have to push to get that solution, and it's only fair that they get the solution that they deserve to have. It's as simple as that. Now, would I defend the Force India situation? No, I wouldn't. I'll say that again. I wouldn't argue against it because the aim of all that business was to save the team and to save the jobs, which is fair enough. But I think they did it in a way that was just a little bit uh, beyond the realms of the Concord Agreement, and you must respect the arrangements that are in place. So I think there is a there is a reason for everything to be sorted out. It will involve somebody paying some money, but then again, they would have paid the money if the situation had been different. So it's actually not such a big deal. It, it just feels like had Haas not complained, maybe the authorities were kind of fine with it. Was it just a case of sitting there mm-hmm. waiting for a complaint to happen? I think like a lot of businessmen, you've got to push them to get the right deal. And, you know, if you don't if you don't uh, say uh, this is what we're going to do, they won't do anything. So you push them, you force them, uh, they accept that, that you have a good point and therefore they have to do it. So I think that that's what we're really doing. I don't think it's, I don't think it's particularly anti-Hass. Uh, I just think it's the way it is. You've got, to, you've got to force something to get what you want or get what you deserve and what you have a right to. And they do have a right to it. If if you allow for Force India getting what they have. Now, if you take the money off away from Force India and give it to Haas, that's one way of solving the problem. Now, Force India wouldn't like that. But then again, you know, they got it for nothing. So it, it's almost it feels like it's not going to hurt the overall Lance Lawrence Stroll plan in any case you know is it is it principle or is it the fact they were close in the championship table i don't know the motivation seems off i, I no, don't it's principle it's a matter of principle it's not just principle it's contract law 
you know, you have a contract, you stick to the terms of the contract. They have not stuck to the terms of the contract in this particular case. I understand why, but you have to do what you have to do. So would it be anti the strolls? No, it wouldn't be anti the strolls. It would just be reality, which is a necessary evil. Um, and how it's sorted out, whether you take the money off the strolls or mm. you give them extra money, that's something that the Formula One group has to figure out. But it's just not fair. And that's what I think if you listen to what Haas is saying, the answer is we just want to be to have equality and to know you know, what are the rules? Now, the rules are only in existence until the end of 2020. So we're not talking a long way away. But nonetheless, you know, they've all signed a contract. And if they haven't uh, abided by the terms of that contract, it's fair enough that there is a complaint. But you can't just go off to the courts in England and say, you know, this isn't fair. You have to follow the rules of the Concord Agreement, which you're a signatory of. Now, there is, just to confuse matters further, a another level of argument, which will take at least five years to sort out, which is that there has been a ruling in a Brussels court, Belgium always being the place that screws everything up. Um, the, <laughs> come on, let's have a reaction there, please. Um, which is basically saying that you can't have arbitration courts in sport automatically. Um and you know you could you could go five years down the line in legal actions over all of that, but the fact is that arbitration is the most sensible route for any sport. Um, and the argument that the Brussels court put forward is that arbitration is only um, a bad thing if if people are forced into it. Well, if everyone signs a contract, they're not being forced into it. They do have a choice whether they sign the contract or not. If they want to be part of Formula One, they sign a contract. That's not forcing. It's an interesting argument, but it's not forcing. It's it's a choice you make. If you don't want to be part of it, don't join it. Joe, I'm having the same effect when you get deep into politics and legality that I have when Summers gets into technology stuff in F1 and when Matt Trumpets gets into tyres, which is I just sit there and go, uh-oh, uh, I zoned out. Just nod and wave, nod and wave. <laughs> so no, I can't no, wait to listen wave. back to no, that. No, nod and wave is the right answer because oh, good. this is not this is not something that that fans are deeply interested in. I'm just merely answering the question in in terms of what, you know you have to go into detail sometimes. You can't just blur it all over. So uh, I don't know about uh, tires and uh, Matt. Was it Matt? I get confused as to which one. Yeah, uh, trumpets the is the trumpets is the one who drowns on about tires. Yeah, I keep Trump, them around because yeah. American accent makes us sound like we're off the telly. So you know, that's a, that's that's a plus side. Joe, we're going to move on to the next topic because I want to get some more of your insight. Now, depending on where you are in the world, you may be about to hear a word from our sponsor. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? 
Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back, Joe. I've got more questions from our Twitter followers. Christopher Fonseca asks, are there any updates on Red Bull Honda? Does it look like they'll be competitive in 2019? Now, during the later part of the season, I was hearing a huge buzz that people were mega, mega excited about the new Honda engine. And when the C-Spec was looking good, people were raving about this D-Spec Honda engine. And now in Brazil, it didn't come out, and that's when we were waiting for it. And then in Abu Dhabi, things didn't go to plan. Should I stay on the hype train, or should I hop off the hype train? Very good question. It's a bit like, is Renault going to be better next year or not? The answer is very simple, which is they'll all be better next year. The only thing we don't know is who's going to be more better than the others. So I was talking to Cyril Abitbul just the other day about this. Um, and and the answer is we don't know what the pecking order is going to be. We know our engines this much better. But does that make us better than the others? We don't know. And if Honda were smart, they would say the same thing because they might be better, they might be worse. But right now, we don't know. Until we see them running, we don't know the answer to that question. And anyone who says they does, they do know the answer to that question, is dreaming because you can't. Why are you laughing? Because you sounded like a seven-year-old briefly. Anyone who says they do's. <laughs> It was good. It's fine. It's endearing, Joe. Um, it's it's just that it's just yeah. that we have in our heads that Red Bull is this amazing aerodynamic machine, and they've certainly earned that reputation. If only they had the power unit in the back, and uh, and they ended up rebelling and saying, "No, we're never going to get any further with Renault," and they they folded. I, I think they thought if they stay with Renault, they're going to have another season like this season. They've taken a big gamble by going to Honda. I, th- I, I, I don't think that's right. I think that you have to take into account a number of things. One is they gave uh, Renault several years of abuse. The Renault didn't really deserve, as Renault won them, effectively won them four world championships before then. They gave them a bunch of abuse because they couldn't win the, the fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth. Um you know, but it's it, it's really unfair in a lot of ways to blame Renault in the way that Red Bull did, and I think that that was you know they're they're paying the price for that. Renault don't want to be associated with them, which is why you had tag higher engines. Red Bull had to had to be 
basically they had to force it wasn't them who forced Renault to do it but they, you know Renault had to be forced to supply them with engines they would have happily have seen them sitting there with no engines in the back and to be honest they deserved it given what they did you know you don't do that to your partner so Red Bull have found a new partner are they going to be better are they going to be worse I don't know actually we do have a Renault related question here joe from lewis mcmurray thank you very much for getting in touch with us joe is on twitter by the way at joe saywood that's really oh, uh, yeah. yeah yeah it's easy to find and i'm at spanners ready uh, i've said it before but why not you know i press record do the editing i deserve it at spanners ready or you can follow me at spanners bbc if you're feeling posh but lewis asked us or you know anything about <laughs> cooking <laughs> Oh, yeah, I've been talking about cooking quite a lot on uh, on local radio. Look, I know you guys mostly tune in here to hear about where you can find out about, you know, the, the subjects of local Cambridgeshire, traffic, weather and news. Uh, it's on FM something something. But Lewis McMurray is interested in Formula One. Please ask Joe for his honest prediction of what 2019 will look like for Ricardo. And does he have the tools to galvanise a team like Schumacher did? Renault need a big development slash spending increase to catch up with the top three. I think that's a fantastic question from Lewis. And we're all thinking this, but it relies on a couple of things. How serious are Renault about catching those top three? And did all the shenanigans with, uh, is it uh, Guzon? I've, I've only seen it spelled. I've never heard it said. G-H-O-S-N. That guy. Gone. Gone. That's not Gone. It's go- Where's the H and the S? Rubbish. Okay. Just think, just think, just think Leclerc <laughs> and you'll work out Gone. Fine. Okay? I will. Okay. This is like Carlo, spelling. Ca- Carlos Gone, currently imprisoned or rather not imprisoned, but um, retained by the authorities uh, in Japan. A guest. Is the book. Is the boss a guest? Not exactly a guest either, because he can't leave. Um, but he is—he is a very important figure. Now you have to bear in mind that Renault is, as of last year, Renault Nissan Mitsubishi Alliance is the biggest car manufacturer in the world. It is bigger than Toyota and Volkswagen. So if you are Dan Ricardo and you look at the Formula One landscape, you say, "Ha, Mercedes, small potatoes, Ferrari." babies compared to the big boys so uh, Renault Nissan Mitsubishi if they get themselves together can be the biggest financially speaking the biggest company in Formula One if they want to be now they they don't particularly want to be because they believe in selling cars rather than wasting money on Formula One whereas the other two are happier to spend more money so Dan Ricciardo is going with the biggest car manufacturer in the world as the lead driver in their Formula One team. That has to be vaguely sensible. Now, will it work out as the right decision? I don't know, because it depends on who will spend what. And Renault clearly does not have the budget right now, but if Gone remains in in, um, less than libertarian (laughs) circumstances, um, the next man in charge may decide to put more money into the Formula One team. He may decide to put less money into the Formula One team. We don't know. I guess it depends on what he decides his personal salary is going to be and uh, and how much of it he declares. Mm, that's an interesting argument. You should have said allegedly at least three times before. Allegedly. I did, uh, as far as the edit yes. is concerned. <laughs> as, <laughs> as reported. It is as reported. Okay, um. uh, Carlos Ghosn's situation is complicated. He's not he's not there on any kind of tax evasion 
charges. He's there for having misstated uh, to a public corporation, which is a worse crime than tax evasion, I think, because you're misleading other people, or at least that's the claim. So uh, we don't know what will happen to him, but I think it's fair to say that he's probably not going to play a very big role in the future. Joe, I think, will you agree with me before we talk about the future, that 2018 has been, from just a fan perspective, a, a, a fantastic and exciting season? Yes, I do. I absolutely think that's true. I know a lot of people don't, but um, that's because probably they're watching on the wrong channel. Um, uh, because if you're not, if it's not properly explained what you're watching, you're not going to enjoy it to the extent to which people who have it properly explained or understand what's going on have enjoyed it. I've enjoyed every single race this year. Which channel should I watch say, it on then, Joe? Well, that's a good question, but whatever it is, it involves some kind of piracy in satellites, I think. <laughs> okay. But um, I do think that Formula One is is badly represented by its by its televisors. So I just don't think that, it's hang on. They, I don't, mean, they that... don't tell us. Oh, well, I don't. I mean, first of all, it's very difficult for me to say because I don't watch <laughs> all the shows. But from what I hear, people don't understand what is going on. Uh, and if you don't understand what you're watching, it, it's not fun. So I think that, that, you know, you have to understand the strategies. You have to understand how tense some of these races are. And sometimes mm. perhaps the, the commentators don't do enough to make that clear as to how tense it is, how close these things are. Abu Dhabi was a really, really interesting race because you just didn't know what was going to happen. And Lewis made it happen. Lewis, the engineers knew he could because they, they did what they did. They called him in and they said, we're doing this. News goes, ah, bah, 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 bah. He did. And yet he won the, he, and yet he won the race. So, and I, to be honest, I mean, I had this dispute in the press room, um, with people there. We're all watching the same thing. And I'm, uh, people are saying, but this is rubbish. This is stupid. They made a bad decision. I said, just wait, just wait. They don't make bad decisions. You know, there's a lot of people making decisions at Mercedes Benz on term, in terms of strategy. It's wait and see what happens. Because if they've made that decision, it's because he can do it. And they know he can do it. Otherwise, they wouldn't have made the decision. They're not idiots. I mean, in fact, they're anything but idiots. They're some of the smartest people you'll, you'll meet in the Formula One paddock work for Mercedes Benz strategy. In, so, in defense of us lot, us, us muggles, we saw them make the wrong call under a virtual safety car in Australia, for example. So you couldn't blame us too much for going. But, but hang on, what, what's a wrong call? A wrong call is is you, you have to make a call. Now, True. Yeah. The reasons those, those calls are made may change. Things may change later on afterwards with other things that screw it up. But very often at the time they make the call, when you hear the reasons, when you go to them and say, what are you making the why did you make that call they say well because of this and it didn't work out it doesn't make them wrong it does make them wrong in the end because that's the way circumstances were but it doesn't make them wrong in the thinking at the time they made the decision and that's one of the joys about formula one is that is these are very very clever people who are calling things and if it goes wrong it's not necessarily that they got it wrong now, sometimes it is. Sometimes they do make mistakes. But you know, trying to find out the the line between the two is tough. Christopher in the chat room is defending you and says, I think what Joe is saying is there's a difference between a bad call 
and a wrong decision. So you can't tell if it was right or wrong till afterwards, but beforehand you can make a good or bad call. Just going back to the commentators before though, Joe, you have to admit, in your time uh, as somebody covering F1, the commentary has improved an awful lot. Murray Walker, a legend, fantastic, like an exciting race caller but when martin bundle came alongside him and you'd have things like um no actually uh that's that's somebody being lapped uh murray it's okay or no 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 that's actually the other car the commentary has increased in quality and we do know more than we did as uh viewers than we did in the 90s yes but having said that at the time that murray was calling races you had no means of watching the races other yeah than that you didn't have all these other inputs i as a fan used to throw things at the telly when murray was (laughs) yes when murray was was commentating because it drove me mad then i got to know murray over time and i understood murray and that is he made mistakes not because he didn't know because he was so excited and that expression about murray having his trousers on fire (laughs) is absolutely the right expression because murray knew so much and it was so excitable, and that was the key to his brilliance of commentary because he was naturally excitable. Mm-hmm. Uh, he made mistakes, and he made some awful mistakes. And you think, oh, no, Murray, come on. But the fact is he made them in an honest fashion. Exactly. And, you yes. know, it was actually – I mean, James Hunt used to sit there and just sort of say, well, I don't think that's quite right. You know, <laughs> And that was, you know – Perfect that was the right way of dealing with it. But, mm-hmm. you know, Murray, without that enthusiasm, how many people would not have got involved in Formula One without that screaming <laughs> lunatic who we, we, we love and is 90 however many years old now? Okay, but I just say, if you are a young commentator commentating on sim racing or karting, you don't have to do it in the Murray Walker style. Don't feel any pressure to do that. Uh, but my favourite memory of Murray Walker, though, is just him constantly explaining the accordion effect like no he's not actually catching up it's just that they're all slowing down for the corner and as they accelerate away you'll see them space out again and be like everyone understands that murray it's okay but yeah absolutely great fun and uh, when you listen back to those old no, races no, but you, it's great but you also have to look <laughs> at it from murray's point of view and i agree with it which is you're not just talking to people who know what's happening you're talking to people you're trying to make them into fans yes so you know and so the tires are not quite how they seem is very sensible you know that's actually a good thing to do just because we're so smart ass and know the answers doesn't mean that murray was wrong to do that you know he's trying to get more fans in and bless him for having done that because he, he you know there was a lot of people who followed formula one thanks to him absolutely no no Definitely not doing down Murray Walker at all. He is one of the soundtracks to my childhood, certainly. Joe, thank you so much uh, for giving up your time to join us here in the shed. I got the heating on today, so it's not been too cold. However, will you come and join us before we start getting into the testing to talk about the new regulations? Because I'm sure you have a lot of insight into that. And we're just, we're so. We're so kind of mixed between hearing stories about how it's not made a difference and then hearing all the propaganda that it's going to make for much better racing next season. So just quickly, are you optimistic or pessimistic about the new regulations and the visual effect they're going to have for viewers next season? It'll probably make very little difference. Aww. Very No, no, no. Very often uh, regulation changes don't make a lot of difference because there are nine months in which a bunch of engineers struggle to make things catch up the you know the gaps that have been created 
So right now they're working very, very hard to, to get back the aerodynamic losses. We don't know who's going to do it best. We'll have to see when we get into testing. Then we have to see three races in, six races in, nine races in. That's the way it is. So I can't possibly, I can't look into a crystal ball and say I know this, that or the other because I don't. But they don't know either. So how I can possibly know? And anybody who claims they do know is talking absolute 100%. 24 carat. You've beaked it for me. Thank you, Joe. You've given us a lot of fascinating facts this evening. Is there any way I can get hold of any more F1 fascinating facts? Well, I believe if you look on a blog called Joe Blogs F1, there's one every day for the next 94 days. Oh, is this new facts or from the old books? No, no, they're new. <gasps> Brand new are you Joe not follow- facts. Are you not following the blogs, honestly? You're an insult to mankind. No, it's all a, it's my- all a skit, Joe, where I, I lead you in by pretending I'm not paying any attention and I'm way behind. And you're, you're pretending work. you don't know I've already started this year. Yeah, I am started a completely new series. <laughs> I'm on number six as of we speak. There's the seventh written one, which will appear at 8 o'clock tomorrow morning. And they will go on until I reach 100, which will be about a week before. Actually, not even that about two days before I leave for Australia. So there will be another, there'll be a hundred of them this winter, turned into a book called Fascinating Facts 3. Good lavatory reading, I've heard. It's very good lavatory reading. I'll tell you what, it's like loop paper. It always sells. Well, there you go, Joe. Thank you so much for your time. Make sure you search Joe Sayward to catch up with everything that Joe is doing. On Sunday, we'll be doing part two of our Missed Apex season review, where three more teams will compete for a place on our magnificent board of awesomeness. If you want to come iRacing with us, or if you just have any questions about how to get involved in that iRacing and the technicalities around it, just email me, spannersready at gmail.com. Until next time, remember that wounds heal, chicks dig scars, and glory lasts forever. This was Inside F1 with Joe! Well, they keep tuning in, Joe, so it can't be that bad. I don't think it's bad at all. I think it's jolly wonderful, apart from me being blurred and all. So, <laughs> But you're just anyway, blurred in real life. I don't think I am blurred in real life. I think it's something to do with the internet, but there you are. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.